This podcast is rooted in a singular dream to aid our culture's growth by fostering collective education, encouraging open discussion, and most importantly, nurturing and inspiring new generations of my transgender siblings. Here's to a transer future. When Ariane Rayborn first came out, he had to reckon with the realization that transitioning might mean losing the support of his parents. For quite some time, his parents held firm that they could not support his transition and begged him to reconsider. Ariane knew that for him, living his truth was a matter of life or death. He chose life in spite of how his parents may react. Arian has been out as trans for several years now and has taken it upon himself to share about his journey with others. He works in the coffee industry where he wears many hats, from barista to technician. As for his parents, well, their journey might surprise you. This episode discusses suicidal ideation, family rejection, misgendering, and surgery. This is Arian Rayborn on Choosing Happiness. Hi, Ariane. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to the show. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Awesome. Yeah. So my name is Ariane. My pronouns are he, him. I am a trans male. My I don't really know if you guys really care about sexual orientation, but I'm very queer. Oh, they care. Oh, I'm good. Good. They should care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 23 years old. Um, I just recently got my bachelor's from Cal State Fullerton in marketing. I've been a barista for about like five plus years now. I'm currently working in a coffee shop in Santa Ana called Huskins Coffee Company. Let's see. I currently have been diving into a lot of different fields of coffee. This is like my little interesting tidbit. I started working on like the actual espresso machines. So like I saved up a lot of my tip money and a lot of my paychecks and flew out to Seattle to take a class with Simon Elliott or Victoria Arduino to learn the more technician side of espresso machines. Just because like for me, I want to be a better, well-rounded coffee professionals. So I thought, you know, technician would be the next step. And my boss even just recently got me into very, very light roasting, aka I'm just pushing the automatic buttons currently. (laughs) All right. Thank you. And so you and I met because we both work in coffee. And you said you've been in coffee for five years now, right? Yes, yes. And at what point in your coffee career did you come out as queer and as trans? So I came out, honestly, it's only been about a year and a half. I do have a really weird kind of coming out story because I technically kind of came out twice, but I only came out in the coffee world once. And Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, that backstory? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a wild ride, actually. So to like, I guess, kind of quick summary, let's hopefully get this in like five minutes, really. Like, I... (laughs) Because God knows these uh, coming out stories can go for so long. There's always just so much. (laughs) I uh, like I first, you know, kind of discovered and dove into like queer identities uh, around the age of like 14 or 15, like just starting high school. I had met uh, my one of my friends at the time, her aunts were gay and I had never met a gay person and this and that. I didn't really know anything about it. All I knew was like people just kind of like called each other like, oh, you're gay as like a derogatory way, calling people stupid. And that was very middle school and elementary school for me. 
I met them and I talked to them and like, I realized I had all these little underlying issues that were like kind of hiding in me that were like, oh, I kind of have feelings for women, but I don't really want to talk about it, this and that. And this was as I was like, you know, female identifying. So um, just basically, you know, went through high school as a woman and then graduated at 17. And at 18, I met my first trans friend, my friend Jake. And he kind of told me just like about his life and about his process, what his family was like. And coming from his side, being a very like white family and me coming from a very Persian person of color family, obviously our parents would react very differently. But he told me all about his journey and like his identity and the issues that he faced and what dysphoria was. And it like finally kind of clicked in my head. I was like, holy shit, I'm trans. That's what it is. So around the age of 18, I came out to like my friends and I brought it up to my parents and they were already like kind of disappointed in the fact that, you know, I was queer. They were like, oh, we don't want, you know, a queer daughter. We're Middle Eastern family, you know, you're supposed to get married to a man and be a doctor and this and that, blah, blah, blah. So coming out to them as trans was like, oh, hell no. Basically, the sum of me coming out at that time was, it was honestly pretty traumatizing. Like, I can't even lie, but I'm very past it now. I got kicked out of my house uh, the day, so I came out at nighttime. The morning after I went to work because I was working a job, it was just, I was working in a small little cafe. And when I came home after my shift, all of my clothes were in black bags. My mom had my binder in her hand, like cutting it with scissors, which was hidden by the way. So like she went through my room, found it, cut it with scissors and was like, I'm not raising you to be like this. You know, like this is not what our family is. Like you're such a disappointment, et cetera, et cetera. So on and so forth. So I got kicked out of the house at 18. I was staying at a friend's house for about two weeks until my dad finally was just, he was trying to convince me to come home and apologize to my mom, basically. He convinced me enough to just, in his words, it was, if you still feel this way when you're 25, then let us know and we'll accept you with open arms. Because in their mind, when you're 25, you have a fully developed adult brain. And I guess that's what they were told. So I went with it and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going through a phase. I'm confused. I'm sorry. Like, I need a place to live. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Forgive me, whatever. Immediately started going to therapy. I jumped around to a lot of therapists. I dove into a lot of, honestly, like, self-hatred and even looked for conversion therapy for myself because I was like, I don't want to be like this. This is not right. At least that's what I was told. And, you know, I went off to college and I moved out with my one of my ex-partners. Um, first time leaving the house, whatever, I was around the age of, like, 20 I started, you know, getting these feelings of dysphoria again, started coming back and back and back. And I was like trying to ignore it, push it away, couldn't do it. Come to the age of now 22, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I had a very Britney moment, shaved my head, was like, F this, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I want a fresh start. And I came out to my friends. I was like, I can't hide anymore. Like it hurts too much. Like I'm trans, like I'm not hiding it anymore. Like I'd been going to therapy and my therapists were like, if you don't start exploring yourself, it's going to hurt you in the future, basically. You know, you need to start accepting who you are. The more and more you fight it, the more and more you're just going to hate yourself and it's going to lead to much darker things and trigger warning head like suicide. It was true, honestly. I was getting very close to the edge of that. So I, I came out to all my friends. I waited about six months and then... The day after New Year's of 2019, I told my parents, I was like, hey, uh, I'm trans and uh, I'm going to be going through this physical transition with or without you. I'm medically going to transition and socially and you guys can be with me or not, but I need to do what I need to do because I'd like to be alive versus being dead. 
what still shocks me, honestly, to this day is that my mom was the first one to respond. And she was like, okay, we saw this coming. Can I come with you to your first doctor's appointment then? And I was like, huh? Like what? And she was like, yeah, no, I want to come with you to your first doctor's appointment. And I think we should start going to like a group therapy for like families that have to deal with this. And for us, it was, there was a local P flag chapter, which is parents for lesbian and gay and trans youth. And it's more of like a parent support group. So we started going to that. And I don't know, my parents just kind of fully 180 and they were fully behind me. My mom came with me to my first hormone appointment. We looked for a top surgery for a surgeon together. I saved up. I ran a GoFundMe for a little bit. I put a lot of my own savings from work and they helped me out a little bit as well. And I was able to get top surgery and my mom and dad were both with me from when I went to sleep to when I woke up. And I don't know, they just kind of completely 180 on me. And that's basically like my entire little coming out story. That's really beautiful. <laughs> Thank that, you. That your parents were, I mean, the whole thing, but all, all, especially that your parents did that 180, like really. It shook me to my bones, honestly. It was. It still shocks me to this day. And telling the story does, it helps a lot of other parents of color understand and be like, oh, I can come around and love my kid. That's so beautiful. Thank nice. you for sharing that. Yeah. Have you s- talked to your parents at all since then about what made them change their perspective? I mean, uh, yes and no. Like we talk about it lightly now and it's very much just like a, you know, we love you because you're our kid. And like, we kind of came to the realization, like we would rather have a kid that's alive than dead. So it's like, have a alive son versus a dead daughter. And I think that's the perspective that a lot of parents really need to hear. And I think that's what helped my parents as well was hearing that perspective. Yeah. Either you can have a kid who's happy and living or you can have a kid that's dead. Yeah, no, exactly. And it sounds dramatic because it is. Yes. Because it is life or death. And I think sharing that with parents is one of the most impactful things that someone can do because I think it frames it in a way that gets parents to really listen. Yeah. Even if they're struggling with actually accepting it at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. I mean, immediately, like even the first meeting we went to PFLAG, we met another family that their daughter had just come out as trans, you know, as a trans woman. And they were like an Asian American family. I think they were coming from, I believe it was Korea. Their family and like their heritage, I guess, and you know, just where the parents were coming from, like, and in their own beliefs, were very conservative and like not accepting of the daughter at all. But eventually, like, they just kept going and going to these meetings. And like, I saw her parents grow alongside with mine and they talked to each other about this stuff like oh cultural beliefs of this and that and like what are you guys doing and how is this happening and what doctor did you go to and so it was nice that they could lean on another group of people that were going through the same thing yeah and I I think that camaraderie between parents going through a similar journey is also super helpful because it's one thing for you to explain this to your parent and it's another thing for someone else in their situation being a parent of a trans person with a similar identity to support each other through mm-hmm. that. I, I think it's even more impactful for a lot of folks, which is what I think PFLAG does really well is it connects parents who are having a similar experience. Yes, honestly, it really does. Do you want me to go back and tell you more about the transitioning and coffee? Because I know I kind of jumped into family real quick. So we can totally pivot to that. You transitioned while in coffee. And I would love to hear about what it was like for you transitioning in a service role and any insights that you've gained from that that you'd like to share with people in a similar situation. Yeah. Okay. So this is definitely like for me, I think it's actually a pretty fun question because like 
I was first kind of touching base and like kind of feeling out this like, oh, you know, should I be coming out as trans again while I was still working at Starbucks? And this is before I jumped into specialty, like into third wave coffee. And I was talking to a few of my coworkers and whatnot. There were a lot of protections that Starbucks held, which was great. But obviously I ended up transitioning after I left because I had to move away anyways, which I almost, not that I uh, regret leaving so early, but definitely I think transitioning with Starbucks would have been much like if I could go back and redo it, I would stick with Starbucks just because I know I'd be able to be covered so much more than I could be working in the third wave shop just because family owned might not be able to support you with insurance and like medical needs and with the pay that Starbucks can offer you. I started, you know, for now a year and a half, like my medical transition with one shop and that was actually Huskins. And so they saw me go in as a very, very, very dykey woman that was very just edgy and not accepting themselves. And I was just, I don't know, full of self-hatred and whatnot. I started to grow super close to my like fellow baristas and my managers and the owner as well. And I, you know, once I started realizing I was having such internal issues with needing to come out, I, you know, sat down and I talked to them and I was like, Hey, I'm trans. And like, you know, I want to start going by like different pronouns and a different name. Like, I know it'll take a while for you guys to like pick up, but like, I think for me, like it's going to be like, I knew they were fully on board. I just knew it was going to be hard to just, you know, all of a sudden quickly change into a new name after they knew me, trained me, have gotten to know me as, you know, my old name and my old identity. But they picked it up pretty nicely and pretty easily, which I'm super grateful for. Like, the boss that I work with now, who's the owner, is from Canada. So he's, and he's from a very, like, liberal part of Canada. And him, he himself is, like, I'm not going to call him a liberal because I don't know what his political views are, but he's very liberal to us as the workers and very, very accepting to us. And he's even gone to the point where he's donated to the local LGBT center, which has been super sweet. I started off with the pronoun change, with the name change. And once I started like on hormones, I was like, hey, so I walked them basically through it the same way I did with my mom was once I start doing injections, like I might get heat flashes at work. I might maybe like break out and get a little bit angry, a little easier, or, you know, I might lose my patience. So like, just be patient with me. And like, if I act out, please tell me, like, let me just step aside and take a cooler and take a breather. None of that ended up really even happening other than just getting heat flashes and being really hungry at work. <laughs> Cause testosterone just really blessed me with that. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, no, I walked them through everything. And then once it came up to the point of like going into like my top surgery, I was like, Hey, like I'm going to be gone for about like a month just cause I want to be able to fully recover. And they were like, that's totally fine. Take your time. We'll find someone to fill in your space for now. And they did. So I think I just definitely got lucky, I guess, with my workspace in that sense. Even when I came back from surgery, they were like, hey, we don't want you lifting this. And hey, let us help you with that. And they were like, genuine, like it was, it was cute. They were treating me like a kid almost like, oh, baby, don't pick that up. Oh, don't do, hold on. Let me get that for you. Don't reach for this. Don't stretch your scars. We want you to have the best looking results for you and this and that. So it was nice. It was, it was definitely really nice to have, you know, such a support. Every single person was supportive, but also not everybody was exposed or I guess, fully understanding to like trans people and transitioning. It's like, oh, I know this person that's trans, but like, I don't know them personally and I don't work in a close vicinity with them. So they don't really know what they're allowed to ask and what they're not allowed to ask and this and that. 
obviously I knew all my coworkers knew my old last name and are my first old first name and were used to calling me like she, her. And so it took a little bit for them to come around, whatever. And they did pretty fairly quickly, but then I would definitely still sometimes get a few questions just like, not from all of them, but it was usually just one specific worker being like, Hey, so, uh, you know, I don't want to get too personal, but, um, you know, insert a question about sex here. And so what are you going to do to fully transition? And like, what are you going to do to deepen your voice? And like, you know, if you go out on dates and, you know, do you have to tell them immediately that you're trans and this and that? And, and when it came to those questions, it was like, I don't want to sound hostile saying like, it's really none of your business. But I would kind of lightly just be like, well, you know, maybe in this situation I do this, but really it doesn't matter. Like I, it doesn't pertain to you. So like, what I do in my life is what I do. And I don't need to share that all at work. I know it's a chill environment to be in specialty and feel like you're a part of a family, but like there are certain things like I don't talk about with my family. Well, and I, th- I, I think people tend to feel really entitled to that information. And I think especially because they're not really thinking through what they're asking that person. Cause especially when people are asking about, you know, when are you getting bottom surgery? Oh my God. You're asking someone uh, to describe their genitals at, work or in an everyday social interaction like I would never go up to a cisgender person and be like hey can you describe what your vagina looks like but like (laughs) that is what they're asking they're asking personal medical information yeah but I think a lot of people don't think that through usually out of a genuine fascination a genuine interest but they're not really thinking through what they're asking no no they really don't like and I know they don't mean it maliciously that's the biggest thing like I know none of them mean it maliciously they're genuinely just so curious and they're like well hey you know we're close enough so like I guess I can ask you right and it's like "Eh, yes and no you know I don't really want to go into like penis talk but you know? (laughs) Yeah. So what do you say when you have those interactions? So I think I've only ever talked about genitalia with one coworker, but that was because I was explaining what a packer was and what an STP was, um, which is a stand to pee device uh, that trans males will usually use so they can go into use a urinal. And it's a very euphoric feeling. It's lovely. I was very excited because I got one and yeah, I'll, I'll even name him Jordan. We are on a, such a like close note. So I was like, okay with talking about it with him. Um, but then when it came to another coworker who was like, you know, are you going to get bottom surgery? Like, what is your penis going to look like if you get bottom surgery? And like, is it going to fully work? And like, is it worth it? Because like, you can't get a girl pregnant. And I was like, that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> like genitals have a purpose outside of reproduction. And frankly, I don't go around asking you when you're getting your girlfriend pregnant. Yeah. And um <laughs> But like, yeah, so it's really like, it's on a spectrum with some of the questions and some of the comments that I get. Cause like, you know, with my friend Jordan, he was like, dude, that's awesome. Like, like, and he was like, let me see what it looks like. And so like, I showed him a photo of like what the, like what the STP looked like. And he was like, that's so sick. Like, you know, if we were in a bathroom and if anyone ever looked over, like, it's so realistic looking like that's great for you. And, you know, like, cause I was very at the time, like I need to pass cause just for safety measures and whatnot. He was like, that's really great. Like, I'm super happy for you. And then it's like on the other range, it's like, so what is your penis going to look like? Asking me, like, if I got a phalloplasty, like, what is it going to look like? What is its purpose? Is it really worth it? Is it going to look like Frankenstein? Is it going to look like Squidward's nose? Is it this? Is it that? And it's like, oh my God, no. Like, if I start the conversation, I'm going to go deep into it, then it's fine. But like, if you're bringing it up out of nowhere on your own agenda, then I'm not going to answer it. For me, at least personally, I'm like, hold up. This is a little too much for me. 
<laughs> and I think that's an important general rule to follow is if the trans person in question brings up something very personal about their body or something that they're willing to share with you, it doesn't mean that you then have permission to ask them those questions whenever you like. It just means that that person has chosen to share it with you. But I think at least in my experience where people tend to it gets a little bit fuzzy is because I do often openly share those things. It doesn't necessarily mean that I want people asking me that at work. It doesn't necessarily that I want people asking that in front of a mixed audience. It doesn't. Yeah. No, I definitely feel that. And then another thing, like, so going back to what I said earlier about, you know, if I could go back and like transition in a Starbucks versus transitioning, like in a specialty shop, like there's obviously pros and cons to both. Like one is like, you're in a more corporate ish environment where like, you have to go through diversity training. You have to, like, you guys specifically talk about things like this. Like, you're going to have quarterly meetings that are like, hey, let's talk about this. Because I remember when I was at Starbucks, there was that whole thing with the close the doors and let's do that diversity training for that whole thing. I think it happened in Chicago. Um, I was Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. It's like, we, we had to learn, you know, if we have a trans coworker, this is what we do. This is what we talk about. This is what we don't talk about. You know, be polite, whatever. And it's like in specialty shops, yes, you're kind of like, there's obviously a code of conduct and like there's etiquette to have, but like we never really pulled the team apart and we're like, hey, let's talk as a group. And like specifically when it comes to this, like maybe we ask the person what they're comfortable talking about and what they're not. Like think about what you're comfortable talking about and like, cause you don't want someone asking you about your genitals. So don't ask, you know, X, Y, Z about their genitals and this and that, like, I I almost wish we had that experience, but it was more like at this point, I almost had to talk to everybody separately and on our own different schedules. Like, hey, so if you want to ask me questions, let's like make it more private or like, let me tell you what I'm okay with talking about, what I'm not okay with talking about. It was like, I kind of did almost all the HR work myself, which is, I guess, like just something to learn for like more smaller shops, like maybe have a meeting with your team or send an email out that's just like, hey, just wanted to talk about this. Our coworker just recently came out. So, you know, remember that etiquette is necessary and required and et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you shared a lot about how you navigated your transition with your coworkers. But one of the unique parts about the service industry is it's not just coworkers that you have to be concerned about. It's also customers. <gasps> oh, my God. Yes. Yes. I'm curious to hear what that was like for you. Okay. So... This is definitely an interesting one. So I was at the shop for about a year. I left for six months to go to school and then I came back. A big portion of like my facial hair coming in was during the six months that I was gone, but I had already been on it and my voice had been cracking while I'm at work and this and that. So I had customers that knew me by my name and I just remember them, you know, my coworkers being like, hey, Ari, can you get me this? Or hey, Ari's going to get your drink out for you, you know? Ari on this or Ari this, whatever. And they would be like, oh no, isn't it? You know, insert dead name. And I'd be like, oh fuck. Like I have to come out to the customers, at least to my customers that come in on a normal basis. And that, you know, we're friends, we're on a name basis. And, you know, we have a close connection. It's like, oh shit, I didn't think about that. For the most part, it's been fine. I would be like, hey, so, you know, I'd pull them aside. I'd be like, listen, like, I know you met me as this, but like, I'm actually going by this now, if that's cool. Like, and I would know it's so dumb that I'm like, is that cool with you? But for me, I don't know why I just, I was like, is that okay with you? Like, if you just call me that instead, almost like I'm asking permission, even though I'm like, no, you need to call me by this. 
for the most part, I guess maybe I got lucky because in the environment I was in, it was like actually okay. But I definitely, uh, gosh, even on Yelp reviews, like someone might've been like, oh, the chick with short hair. And I'm like, oop, is that me? Or is that my coworker who has hair above her shoulders? I don't know. It, I guess it would really just a mix because I definitely was getting misgendered by customers and like I'd half the time be too afraid to correct them. And I'm just like, it's not worth it. But then when it came to close customers, it was like, hey, this is happening and you're going to see me like look a lot different. And after the six month mark of me leaving and coming back, I had some of those regulars still come back and they were like, okay, like he grew up and they were really positive about it. And it was, it was kind of cute. It was definitely something nobody ever talked about, like at all, like at all, at all. So it was really interesting to have to like navigate that. It wasn't too much to navigate. Again, I think I got lucky with the customer base that we have unless they just don't say anything to me. But like, we have a pretty diverse crowd. We have a lot of queers that have come in and have been like, hey, like you look great, you sound great. I even have one of my favorite customers is a drag queen. Our coffee shop is at the bottom of my apartment complex and they live upstairs and they came down actually, this is just two weeks ago. And we're like, Ari, it's so good to see you. Like you look so much happier now. And I was like, Oh, my heart. I forgot that you saw me as a whole ass woman before. (laughs) That must feel really validating. It was genuinely so nice. And obviously I love hearing it from people like out of the community or even in the LGBT community. But like, it was just like, immediately I had always had a very like great connection with them. So like for them to come down after not seeing me for a while, they were like, you look so happy and so good. I was like, you're going to make me cry at work right now. Like, thank you. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's definitely been a, it's been an okay experience, but it's something that no one really talks about. So I'm really glad that you're like asking that. Yeah. Um. So I want to circle back a little bit here. I know that you mentioned having top surgery and that your parents did end up being supportive. And I really appreciated you sharing that experience so openly on social media. Your GoFundMe, it was amazing to see that you were reaching out to folks to help and that people were really engaging with that. And even though trans mask folks don't have to undergo top surgery, you know, in order to be valid, that's not something that every trans man wants to do or or has the ability to do. Uh, Those surgeries can obviously be super euphoric for people. I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience, the time leading up to it, and maybe a little bit about the time since, how you felt. So yeah, no, definitely, obviously, like, everybody's transition is different. Not all trans mask people have to get top surgery, you know. Um, Some are absolutely fine with their chest. There's some want to get top surgery and not get the nipple or, you know, whatever, whatever. And that's super, super great. And so like, definitely for me and for my journey, it was like getting top surgery was like a definite, like I need to do this within the next like two or three years or something because it's driving me crazy. And like, it got in the way of my day-to-day tasks and in school and with job interviews. And it it was just holding me back a lot more than I really thought. It even like health-wise was holding me back because I didn't want to exercise because I was like, my chest moves when I run or when I lift and this and that, and I don't look passing when I'm in the gym, so I'm not going to go. And it was just, it was a really intense fight within myself because I was like, I need to get healthy and I want my chest to look a certain way. So I need to work out to get it to a place where my surgeon can aid me in getting it to where I need to be. 
But then I was like, I don't want to do this though, because this makes me feel horribly dysphoric and I want to die. (laughs) So um, getting it done was God, just such a freaking euphoric is the best word to use. Like it was true euphoria, like waking up and I mean, not um, immediately after waking up, I was hella just very in a drugged state from from the anesthesia but going home I just I was with my partner with my girlfriend and she was just like you know how do you feel like she was helping me sleep and putting me on my back and helping me wash myself and like I was just like in tears all the time and being on testosterone it's really hard to cry I was like just able to be brought to tears so quickly just because I was so happy And I have a video of when I first got my bandages removed to see my nipples and like see the scars. And, you know, the minute the nurse took it off, I started bawling. My face got red. I had taken my girlfriend and my best friend with me and they started crying. (laughs) Like everybody in the room was crying and the nurse was like, does it hurt? And I was like, no, I'm just happy. And it, it, I'm smiling so hard right now, honestly. It's so, I just, I, I, I should, I'm, I'll send you the video of it. It's genuinely, it's really cute. Straight ahead right here. Holy shit. <sighs> You're still swollen, okay? Which is completely normal. So they're swollen here and here, which is normal, okay? <laughs> oh my fucking God. Oh, it looks really good already. Yeah. It's me, guys. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I genuinely think, though, like getting top surgery was like just one of the best days of my life, and being able to see my chest was like, oh my god, like it's it's true. It actually happened. Like I finally get to really dive into my full potential of who I can be and who I am. That was my biggest thing. It was a, I needed top surgery and I got it. And I feel so lucky to have the opportunity to have gotten it, to have gotten the financial support I got. I'm so thankful for everybody that donated and my parents for taking me there, taking me back, helping me find a surgeon and uh, also taking care of me after. Euphoria is the best word I can use for it. It was one of the best days ever. Is there anything that you wish you had known before going into the experience that you would like to share with people who may be considering top surgery or preparing for it? For me, because I guess wanted the more like cis male looking pectoral like muscle to like protrude when I worked out, I would have wished I kind of did a few more pushups, you know, before like kind of do just like a little bit of chest workouts to just aid yourself. You obviously don't have to, but that was just more what I wanted to do. Another thing, this is something I knew and like, I always like to recommend to people is stop smoking and stop drinking because it'll aid in your recovery so well. I had already quit smoking cigarettes at the age of 20, but like I was always on and off of smoking regardless. Um, But I was like, no, I need to quit. Like, so six months before um, I knew I was going to get it, I just completely like I stopped and I was like, I need to start working out and eating better and doing this and getting my mental state ready to be sitting in the house for a month, basically, and not being able to take care of yourself. And you need others to take care of you, like whether you want it or not, you need others to take care of you. So mentally and physically prepare yourself for that. And then just always remember to get like, ask as many questions as you need. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask the doctors. Don't be afraid to reach out to others. Get as much advice as you can because everybody's body is different. So like 
me versus like some of my white trans male counterparts, their skin is going to look different versus mine when I'm healing. My scars heal differently than theirs. And another thing also is don't compare yourself to others as much as you want to. Like these are your individual results and it's it's your body. It's no one else's. Like it's going to hurt you a lot. And I had to go through that, unfortunately, the hard way by comparing myself to a lot of other trans males that were in the limelight of what America sees as trans males, you know, which is very big buffed up men. Like you don't need to look like that. It doesn't need to be like that. You don't need to be the biggest macho man. I don't know. Also don't expect top surgery to give you pecs, I guess. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't need to work out. And it's like, if you want to look the way that some of these people look that are in the light, like you have to work for it. Like testosterone and top surgery won't do it for you. So another thing that you put on social media a while back, you talked about queer spaces and especially as someone who is a transgender male, how you don't feel as welcome in queer spaces as you did prior to transition because now you're read as male. And I think that's something that a lot of cisgender folks and especially trans folks don't really think about when they think about transitioning is that not only do people perceive you as a different gender than they perceived you as before, but everything that comes with being perceived as that gender also changes. So I was curious if you'd be willing to share a little bit more about this experience. Oh, yeah. That's okay. That's something I really wish I did research on and like maybe listen to more blogs and video stuff like about that because I was so in my head, like I was just so socially told to like, you're transitioning to male. So you're going to look male, act male, whatever like that. I'm like, because for me, that's what I wanted. And that's how I feel like I am personally. So that was the route I was taking because I was like, I need to look as male as I can and sound as male as I can in this and that. Like, I don't want a bit of my queer identity to show at all. I want to be cishet passing period. I don't want to be looked at. I was very set on that mindset because socially, I thought that was actually really the only way that you were allowed to be trans in my mind. And I guess what I read when I was younger stuck with me and I was like, yeah, no, you have to be like the ultimate macho man or else you can't do it. It's either you go all the way or you don't. I definitely think that's a big mindset that a lot of folks do have. And I'm definitely guilty of it just in this past year, I've had to change a lot of my mindset because I realized how bad it was. Just, it was doing a lot of gatekeeping, basically, on like trans identities. And I was like, you know, why am I doing that? Like, it's someone else's life. It's not affecting mine. It doesn't matter. Again, it, not everybody's transition is the same. And I, that's the beauty of it, which is great. But getting into like queer spaces. So I used to go to the LGBT center a lot at my school and I was very like I looked female this is you know before starting or being very I think it was like three months or four months on T, so I was still like pretty like female looking and you know this and that but I was just dressing more masculine I would just wear a little pin that said he him for them to know but the minute I would leave the LGBT center I'd rip that off and I'd be like nobody fucking look at me like I am not any different than all of you I am as square as all of you you know Once I started, you know, getting facial hair and like working on my body and like getting more form fitting clothing and getting top surgery and like just generally going in public now more and being so passing, I realized that when I go to places like the gay bars, if I go to a lesbian night with my best friends and they're all lesbians and I'm the only guy there, they're like, why the fuck are you here? And I'm like, well, they brought their friends over here too. Like, and they're straight women. Like, it's not just for women to be here. Like, I want to just hang out and drink. Or even if I went to just like going to Pride, 
I'm actually kind of nervous to go to Pride. I haven't gone to Pride as a passing trans male. And it makes me almost nervous because I don't want people to be like almost gatekeeper-ish with their community and be like, well, get out. This is our space. Like, you're not gay. You're not this. You're not that. So yes, in queer communities, like, and in queer spaces, it's definitely interesting to not be read and not be seen because I don't think people were like taking me seriously, I guess, as a queer person. They were like, oh, it's just like a dude who's just saying their opinion and is probably an ally and doesn't know the true experiences. But it's like, oh, let me tell you, I have a uterus and I understand everything you're saying. And, you know, this and that, you talk about a woman's body. Like, I know all the reproduction system and I know how this period works and I know how this and that works. And I don't know, it was, uh, I feel a little bit more hesitant now actually on speaking out when it comes to things like that, or even when it comes to talking about women and about the female body. They're like, you know, you're a man, what do you know? And I'm like, oh, let me tell you, (laughs) but I don't want to out myself. But like, you know, I understand it, you know, little do you know. And especially, I guess right now, like the more and more passing I get, I was like, I was really just kind of going to school and going home. I wasn't really putting myself out there and going to too many community events. And like, as like, I guess pride really comes around this year, I was like, oh, I finally get to go out and take my shirt off. And it's like, I can't do that because COVID like, shoot. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ariane, for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Any words of wisdom with the audience before we part? Ooh, any words of wisdom? Um, if you are a queer or just any, you know, LGBTQIA in the coffee community, like reach out to others online and like let's continue to build the community that we are building now because it's so heartwarming to be able to talk to other baristas and other shop owners and just other you know queer folk that are in the same business that we are like even when I first talked to Ariel I it came off in a very weird way when we first met because I was cis passing and she thought I was just some dude <laughs> DMing her, like sliding in her DMs. Well, and I think I did this kind of the same thing to you. If, if you want to talk about queer, <laughs> if you want to talk about queer spaces, actually, that's a perfect one. Like I could slide into a person's DM, and they're like, "Oh, this is just some chaser." And I'm like, no, I'm one of you. And I think that illustrates your earlier point as well as. Even for me, as someone who tries to be as aware of other trans people as possible, I have so many people that every day slide into my DMs and say really creepy shit to me that like the yeah. second that someone who's male presenting slides into my DMs, I assume chaser. I assume someone trying to be creepy. Yeah. Um, and didn't and that was a really like an interesting wake up moment for me was that, oh, like I actually <laughs> still have to stop and <laughs> analyze and assess each situation and like look on a person's profile before assuming that they are someone trying to be creepy towards me. Yeah. And I mean, like, granted, I was complimenting you. I didn't mean to come off as creepy. I was like, hey, you're gorgeous, this, that, you know. And then also like, oh my God, you're in coffee. Also, you're trans. That's absolutely amazing. Like, let's link up, please. But yeah, it's just stuff like that. Like, just keep reaching out and keep taking that step forward to talk to others because you never know what kind of friendship you'll make or now this podcast being a thing can reach to so many different people that maybe didn't know 
there was a huge community in coffee. Yeah, and there really is a huge trans community in coffee, which is something that I think is so cool. And it, it is something I am trying to share, especially within the first few episodes of this podcast. I'm having a bunch of trans coffee people on. Yeah, so it's definitely just, uh, yeah, that would be my advice. Just really like keep reaching out and like extend your circle. Don't be afraid to extend your circle because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know what opportunities you're going to get. And don't hold yourself down to just one position. Like, don't think you're going to work as a barista all your life. Like, maybe you can go forward and become an educator on diversity like like Ariel is. Or maybe you can go and learn and train others. And yeah, there's just such a big opportunity of different jobs you can do, different people you can meet, and like just truly different opportunities in life. And it's it's good to have a community to help you get there. I couldn't agree more. Community is so, so valuable. So before we part, do you have any social media or current projects that you're working on that you would like to plug for people to follow? Yeah. I mean, you got, I'm always welcome for people following like my personal Instagram, which is just Lil Saffron with an underscore after it. Can you spell that? Yeah, it's L-I-L-S-A-F-F-R-O-N underscore. And then I have a coffee account, which is... I haven't really been posting, but hopefully I will start posting more. But it's more for my technician and just other barista stuff. And that one is at Creative Chemex. Those are the main social medias I'll be on. Or if you want to connect on LinkedIn, please add me on LinkedIn. I'd love to add and I'll, I don't know, give you a shout out or say that I know you doing something and give you a little promotion if you want. So yeah, definitely uh, awesome. reach out. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having this. That's all for today, folks. Don't forget to subscribe to and review this podcast so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you feel inclined to support this work financially, you can head to patreon.com slash trans and caffeinated. You can follow my personal accounts on Twitter and Instagram at Ariel R. Gordon, and you can follow at trans and caffeinated on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow the show's editor and opening music composer, Joey, on Twitter at Nora Curosa. You can find her band, Fempathy, on both Facebook and Twitter at Fempathy Band and on Bandcamp at fempathy.bandcamp.com. You can follow the show's closing music composer, Elena Drajanski, on Instagram at thegayagenda95. You can follow her music on Instagram at Elena Ford Project and on Bandcamp at elenaford.bandcamp.com. You can also find her work featured in the Transformations Marketplace on transandcaffeinated.com. Now it's time for patron shoutouts. First up is Elaine Kohler. Follow at Elaine of Shallot on Instagram to view and purchase her beautiful mosaics. Next is Umeko Motoyoshi. Follow at umeshiso underscore on Instagram and head to umeshiso.com to purchase Umeko's beautiful coffee cupping spoons. I personally have about 15 of their rainbow cupping spoon and I use it every single time I brew coffee. Last is Jeffrey Guillermo. Follow at jeffrey.scott91 on Instagram. Jeff is a dear friend of mine who you'll get to meet on a future episode of this podcast. Each of these amazing individuals is also featured in the shout-outs highlight on the Trans and Caffeinated Instagram. I'll see you in two weeks on the next episode of Trans and Caffeinated. <laughs>